This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is sponsored by Libro FM. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute or while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. And if you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, you can check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. And listeners of Get Booked can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code BR3. And as a bonus, if you sign up now, you will get five free audiobooks delivered to you on Bookstore Day, a one-day national party that takes place at bookstores across the country on Saturday, April 27th. With each listen, you can take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 178, and we are recording on April 23rd. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot and my chocolate hangover from Easter. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Did you eat a lot of eggs? Chocolate I- eggs. It was hard to minimize because I was hanging out with my niece, who's like three and a half, yeah. and she was on the craziest sugar high. Oh, what about your boys? Do you guys do Easter bunny stuff? I No, I forgot no. that it was happening. <laughs> and I got a bunch of texts the morning of Easter and was like, oh, I'm just not going to mention that so that my children yeah. are not like, where's my chocolate? <laughs> right, right. So I'm pretty sure I successfully got through the day without them even realizing that it was Easter. My bad. Very well done. <laughs> Well done. <laughs> um, what are you reading? Um, oh, man. For so long, I've been reading this book. I'm reading The Luminaries <laughs> by Eleanor Catton. And I don't say that because the book is bad. It's just the longest book of ever. And I did not realize when I went into reading it that it's a mystery. Um, so, I mean, I knew, I kind of knew that there was like a thing that a bunch of men were gathering together in one hotel to like talk out and figure out. But I thought that like, as the reader, you had a little bit of that, what is that, reader irony or whatever the term is, where you, like, you knew what was happening and we're just watching characters figure it out. No, you also don't know. So it's it's like page turnery because you want to know what all of these dudes are doing in this like one hotel room and plotting. But also it it's like 1,200 pages. It just never ends. Yeah. But I'm enjoying it. I don't know. It's like Dickens in that way where you're like, oh, this is still, I it's still going. Like they're still going and I have like 400 <laughs> more pages. How is he possibly going to shove more action into this book? She's doing the same thing. But it's the 1800s and it's New Zealand. So like I'm into it. I don't know. It's cool. What about you? 
I have been jumping around from book to book, but I finally found something to settle on. It's The Deepest Blue by Sarah Beth Durst, which is a companion book to her Queens of Renthea trilogy. And they've been pitching it as the Island of the Blue Dolphins meets Hunger Games, which kind of cracks me up. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) (laughs) But it's set in this world where like nature spirits, there's like fire, earth, water, you know, ice whatever stone spirits and they all want to kill humans and mostly women are born with the power to control them and every different country in this world has like their own setup of how this works and apparently on this island of Berlin it is very it is very hunger gamesy like if you are found to have powers you get sent to this island and only the strongest survive etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's be- it's definitely like plucky ladies banding together to overthrow an unjust system plus magic um and i'm also super glad i'm not planning like a beach trip anytime soon because oh my gosh (laughs) it's just like how i told people if you want to read the queens of renthia you should not do it during a camping trip like you should not do this read this book near water Mm. if you're at all susceptible to imaginary fears is all i will say yeah i am susceptible to those um so yeah yep 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 it's fun stuff it's fun stuff uh okay let's see so if you are new to this show welcome and it is as i said at the top a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations which means you send in your questions about what you should read next or what you should gift to a friend or relative or family member or your book club should pick next or whatever and we will do our best to find you a good option you can send Send those either by email, it's getbooked at bookriot.com, or drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. If you would like a response back by a specific date because you're traveling or it's a birthday or something, please let us know what that date is. Say time sensitive, all caps, and then the date right at the top of the form or in the subject line of the email. We will do our best to get back to you. If we think we are not going to get to it on time, we might send you an email. Or if you've asked a question that has been asked a couple times before, we might also email you. So keep an eye out for those responses. Let's see. Oh, right. Friendly reminder that we do have a new Kidlet show. It's called Kidlet These Days, and it is an every other week show hosted by Karina Jan Glazer, who is a best-selling children's author in her own right, and Matthew Winner, who is a children's librarian and podcaster. And they are talking all things picture book and middle grade and generally Kidlet. So you should check that out for lots of good recommendations there. Okay, let's see. And we've got some feedback from previous shows for specifically with NYC Books for Amanda. Suzanne writes, I'd like to add The Address by Fiona Davis. It's a dual timeline story about the famous Dakota Hotel with family secrets and interesting history. And Madeline recommends the first is Kissing in Manhattan by David Schickler. It's a novel and short story set mostly in the village. Then the middle grade classic, The Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankenweiler about two siblings who run away to live in the Met Museum. And finally, The Colossus of New York by Colson Whitehead, which is a beautiful nonfiction tour of the city. Plus, it's written by Colson Whitehead. Yes, correct. Very good. <laughs> All right. Let's see. So Amanda is going to read our first question and tell us about our first sponsor. Okay, so our first question is from Neurotic about erotica, which I love. Um, And it's a very specific question about romance. So I'm just going to tell you the things that this questioner is looking for and does not want. So yes, yes to adults, not YA, not young adult, adults. Um, Yes, chemistry and then sex, not the other way around. 
Um, written by a woman of color with a black woman as the romantic female lead, interracial romance is a plus. No love triangles, no instant sex, no, I love this, ridiculous miscommunications leading to silly drama to fill pages rather than a well-developed plot. That also bothers me. Um, And no deeply troubled, for whatever reason, man that has to be saved by a woman in any capacity. So no women being martyrs for dudes. There's enough of that in real life. Okay, very specific, which excites me. I love really, really specific questions. Uh, So before we answer that, we're going to talk about our first sponsor, which is also really exciting. Um, This is called William Shakespeare's Get Thee Back to the Future by Ian Desher. So, of course, you know, the iconic film Back to the Future by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. We all know this. Marty McFly goes back in time from the 80s to the 50s, changing the path of his parents' destiny and his own. Um, Now, if you're a fan of the movie, you can go back even further to the 16th century, where Shakespeare unveils his latest masterpiece, William Shakespeare's Get Thee Back to the Future. So every scene and line of dialogue from the movie is recreated in Shakespearean rhyme and meter and with Shakespearean stage directions. So you can read uh, Back to the Future, like all in Shakespearean writing style, which is just amazing. So by the time you're finished reading it, you know, you'll think Shakespeare had his own DeLorean. So go check that out. That's William Shakespeare's Get Thee Back to the Future by Ian Desher. All right. Specific romance. Go, Jen, go. Okay. I picked Wrong to Need You by Alicia Rye because it fulfilled most of the requirements. It does not have a Black woman as the lead, but it is an interracial romance and both of the characters are people of color. So it is technically the second book in her Forbidden Heart series, but I think you can get away with just reading it. And these are grown people. The heroine, uh, Sadia, is um, a single mom. Her husband died and she's sort of been on his on her own and trying to keep the cafe she inherited running. And things are not going amazingly well. It's really hard. She's struggling with anxiety and money problems and it's just really frustrating. Um, and her husband's younger brother was a friend growing up and like her best friend. And he left suddenly because of a crime he did not commit and now it's been 10 years and he's come back to town and he is kind of trying to turn his life around on his own Um, (laughs) and he has been in love with Sadia basically forever but she was his husband you know his brother's wife there we go she was his brother's wife so he couldn't do anything about it and but you know now they're back together and there's definitely chemistry there but Sadie is also really mad at him because she felt abandoned for a really long time and so there are real problems here they're like real life specific problems like being a single parent and struggling with a small business and you know Jackson has his own stuff that he is dealing with and then there's all these family secrets this is definitely a family saga series and so each book digs into this this like terrible thing that happened 10 years ago that it's still sort of unclear exactly what happened and who's at fault. And so there's a lot of feelings around that all over the place, just all over. But uh, but the characters are, you know, working to try to figure out their own stuff and move on from this. And it's so smart about the psychology of this, like what it's like to suffer from panic attacks and anxiety and to feel like you can never let anybody in to help you. And what it's like to be, you know, keeping secrets on behalf of family and whether or not you ever get to put those down. And there's grief. And then there's also this very like 
it's wrong, but it's so right sort of thing going on. And the sex scenes are very erotic. It is technically a romance, but it is erotic. And I will not say much more about them except for to say that they are very, very steamy. And I think you will enjoy them. So yeah, it's a gr- I love this series. It's a great series. It is inclusive uh, in so many different ways. Uh, the heroine in this one is bisexual, which is awesome. And yeah, it's just amazing. So again, that's Wrong to Need You by Alicia Rye. I do recommend the entire series as well. Okay, so I picked A Princess in Theory by Alyssa Cole, which also hits almost all of your uh, requests, except the romance is not interracial. Um, but everyone in this book is an adult, and one of them's a prince. So, like, I don't know. I feel like that's adult squared, like uber adult. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so the main character's name is Naledi, and she is a former foster kid who aged out. Her parents are dead. Um, she aged out and is now a grad student and has multiple jobs. So she's, like, living in New York on her own, really, really hustling. She works in her grad school studies are in, um, is it bacteriology? It's like some kind of public health science field. Uh, and so she's dealing with like, you know, not poverty, but scraping by to, to work, having to work multiple jobs to, to pay her bills, um, succeeding in grad school while also dealing with like racism and sexism in her lab that's really obnoxious and she keeps getting these emails you know those emails that were like um you know this nigerian prince needs your help um except she's and so she's getting those emails except they're about prince the biso who is the heir to the throne of uh the solo which is like a, a fictional kingdom in africa that Alyssa cole made for this uh book series so she keeps getting these emails that are like Prince Sabiso wants to meet with you. He needs your help. And she's like, okay. So of course she just deletes them all. Except they're real. (laughs) They turn out to be real. So Prince Sabiso, you know, is he's a prince. And he is getting to the point where like his parents are getting older. He's really starting to have to seriously think about what it's going to look like when he takes over running this kingdom. And he needs to get married. But he was betrothed, you know, when he was a kid to uh, another girl in his kingdom who disappeared. And so he has decided he's going to go find her. I'm sure you can guess who it ends up being. Um, And so he goes to New York and finds her. She has no recollection of what's, uh, you know, of who he is or where she comes. She doesn't know any of it um, because her parents died when she was super young. And so he has to, he meets her like working in this restaurant and decides to lie about who he is so he can get to know her. Like he goes there with the intention of yelling and screaming and like, why haven't you come home? you know, and all this kind of stuff. And then when he realizes that, like, she has no idea who he is or what's happening, he kind of just goes along with it. Like, he's entranced by her, but and, like, is technically engaged to her, but doesn't know what to do because she doesn't know him, but he likes her, but, like, wah! Um, So he has to pretend to, like, be a commoner, which is hilarious. (laughs) It's hilarious to witness him trying to, like, serve food to people, which he has never done. He's never served food to his own self. Like, it's just hilarious. And then the truth does come out, and you kind of follow down. So, like, there... I didn't qual- I didn't classify this as a miscommunication um, that causes drama. He just flat out lies to her, you know. And so the big crux of like their conflict in this book is not not understanding each other. It's that he she has to learn to trust him or decide if she wants to learn to trust him, um, and decide like does she want to move to another continent? And she has her own career and all these things that she really cares about. Um, so it is very, despite the fact that it, I mean, it sounds very Cinderella. It is very Cinderella, but it's also like. Cinderella has a job she likes. So like, what is she going to do? You know, like there are adult things that she's considering in this book. And I really, really loved it. So that's A Princess in Theory by Alyssa Cole. 
All right. Our next question is from Kat, who says, I used to love reading trilogies and series when I was a kid, and I miss the feeling of finishing a book and knowing that there's more to discover. However, most adult trilogies seem to be published in genres I don't particularly enjoy, fantasy, romance, and science fiction. Can you recommend a series or trilogy for adults in another genre? I do enjoy historical fiction and read mostly literary fiction. Some crime or mystery elements are fine, but ideally shouldn't be the focal point. I tried Old Filth and Sea of Poppies and didn't enjoy either of them. The Gilead series is on my list already, as is a Rising Man series thanks to a BR recommendation. All right, I'm just going to keep talking. I picked for you the Aubrey Maturin series by Patrick O'Brien. The first one is Master and Commander yes. because it's so fun. Ships. It's pros <laughs> on the high seas. Like, come on. It's great. I'm a huge fan. Actually, it's funny. I didn't think of that, but I do. I am a huge fan of oceany stories. And, uh, and this is so, I also like this because it's like a comedy of manners, but also with pirates. So that's enjoyable. And I do think Patrick O'Brien is a good writer. He really nails the sort of like a little bit pompous, a little bit wry tone of 1800s literature generally. And this is about, in case you are somehow unaware, there was a whole movie and everything, uh, Captain Jack Aubrey, who is a newly promoted commander master and commander as the show the title would say um to this like kind of crappy old ship they don't they don't want to give him a good one but he is determined to prove himself and his bestie slash ship surgeon Stephen Maturin who is like the very wry sardonic character in this and Aubrey is sort of the duffer straight man kind of character uh you know are out fighting Napoleon's ships and taking over Spanish frigates and all of that good stuff. So yeah, super fun. What's not to love? And there are like 14 books, maybe more in this year. There's a lot of them. So if you enjoy it, there is plenty more where that came from. So that again is Master and Commander, the first in the Aubrey and Maturin series by Patrick O'Brien. Okay, I picked the Border Trilogy by Cormac McCarthy. And the first one is All the Pretty Horses. The other two are The Crossing and Cities of the Plain. These are big, like, National Book Award winning books. So you've probably already heard of them. And they're so, they're just the most masculine things you're ever going to read. Although, I don't know, Master and Commander is also. I was just going to say, I kind of, I kind of cornered that mic. Like, these are both very masculine in, like, different ways. Maybe the same ways, I don't know, conquer. Uh, Because the Border Trilogy, as the name kind of implies, is about like men and their feelings on the border between the US and Mexico. Um, Mostly you're following uh, John, a guy named John Grady Cole. In the first book, he's like 16 or 17, I think. Um, And he lives on a ranch in Texas and his, uh, he's like, he's orphaned and the, you know, his ranch is being sold. He has nowhere to go. So he teams up with his best friend and they set off to go into Mexico. Uh, to like, you know, make their way and like find jobs and survive and make their fortunes, question mark. Um, they get into all variety of shenanigans. Um, he gets a job working on a ranch, falls in love with the rancher's daughter. I'm sure you can imagine how that goes. Uh, in the last book, I think he's an, he's an adult. He's in his 30s or 40s, maybe a little bit older. Um, but when I say shenanigans, let, let me be clear that these are like Cormac McCarthy shenanigans. So there's like murder. (laughs) These are the kind of shenanigans that I'm talking about. Um, There is a lot of violence. I don't know. But you know, he has that way McCarthy does of writing violence in such an an expressly simple, like purposefully simplistic matter fact kind of way that you're like, Oh, 
and then he shot the guy. Okay, and then you just kind of move on. If you are like really super sensitive to violence, uh, the, the trilogy is probably going to be a bit much for you. But again, it just is like presented as a fact of life, you know, in the early 1900s along this border. Um, and if he's, I, I don't even know how to talk about Cormac McCarthy. Like he is such a specific kind of flavor of writer. It's very Hemingway and deceptively simple in that same kind of way that Hemingway is. But I think he's better than Hemingway almost. Like Hemingway's simplicity was a was put on. It felt very performative. Like you can tell that he went back and edited it out, whatever. But Cormac McCarthy's writing doesn't feel performative. It just feels like a living expression of what it's like to live in this place in this time. It's just so well done. But again, super, super violent, very masculine, grain of salt. There you go. So that's All the Pretty Horses, which is the first book in the Border Trilogy by Cormac McCarthy. Okay, question three is from Hope, who says, let's see, I'm writing a recommendation request for my wife. She was a voracious reader growing up, but for a variety of reasons has become a reluctant reader now in her 20s and struggles to focus long enough to get into a book. I'm not trying to change her, but I often hear her talking about ideas she would be interested in exploring more deeply, and I think there's a book for that. We recently got into comics. Her current favorites are Lumberjanes and Dr. Aphra. She's a big fan of Game of Thrones, Star Wars, House of Cards, Jessica Jones, Dan Brown books. So I think something with some history, political intrigue, and a pinch of darkness would be up her alley. LGBT representation is a plus. Please no dragons if you make a high fantasy pick. All right, Jen, what you got? I picked a sort of comics adjacent novel because I was thinking about Jessica Jones and I was thinking about, you know, history and political intrigue and a pinch of darkness. And so I picked Zero Sum Game by S.L. Huang, which is the first in the Russell's Attic series. And this is just one of my favorite action-y sort of sci-fi thrillers I've read in a while. It moves really quickly. It's really fascinating. The characters are great. And I think it would capture the attention of anybody who is interested in what you listed um, and is maybe like, but is maybe not ready for a really slow paced deep dive kind of thing. And it's not short. It's like 330 some pages, but it moves so quickly. And Cass Russell is the main character and she is like preternaturally good at math to the point where she can basically dodge bullets because math. So, you know, that's pretty cool. And she is a sort of mercenary character. She does things for money, including retrieving stuff. Uh, generally, she's a finder. And somebody f hires her to find a person who has been kidnapped by a cartel. And so she goes in to get this person out and comes face to face with a friend of hers who is undercover and has to try to like not blow his cover, but still get this person out because she's been paid to do this job. And then everything sort of starts to unravel from there because it becomes clear that there's much more going on here than a simple kidnapping. It doesn't make any sense why this person would have been kidnapped. The person who hired her to do the job doesn't make any sense. Like nothing makes any sense. And so you get into this kind of space where she is trying to figure out who benefits and who's to be trusted and who's, you know, who's plotting and who's not plotting and there are government agencies involved and maybe, maybe they're government, maybe they're not. They're very covert. Who knows? And she has reasons for doing what she does, but she's also struggling a little bit with her own moral and ethical code and how fine she is or is not with the violence and you know death in some cases that follows her around it is a little bit 
it's it like it has shades of Jessica Jones in that sense. And what's so cool about this book or that I think is really cool is that S.L. Huang, the author, has been like an action stunt woman, which is super interesting and also has degrees in math and stuff. Super smart, clearly, perhaps actually the character in the book. Who knows? Um, we probably wouldn't know if she really was because it would be secret. But she's a really interesting person who brings all of that to the book. So it feels very believable, even as these are like superpowered stunt level things. So again, that's Zero Sum Game by S.L. Huang. Okay, I did pick a comic. I picked Monstrous, uh, which is written by Marjorie Liu, and the artist is Sana Takeda. And it's there are three volumes out right now. The first volume is called Awakening, and then The Blood and Haven. And this is like so hard to describe. It's high fantasy steampunk in an alternate universe matriarchal version of Asia. So like all of those things combined. It is pretty dark. And I think that for a Game of Thrones fans who doesn't want dragons, I think it's a good um, alternative. There are other creatures and beasties. Like most of the main characters are some form of creature or beastie. um, But no dragons. Um, So the main character's name is Micah. And she is terrible like she's a terrible person very jessica jonesy in that she has a moral compass in there somewhere but it's mostly buried underneath all of her trauma um and trying to get by and you know sacrifices that she's made she's also got a lot of ptsd she was in a a war and when you meet her in the first book she's like gone undercover as a slave to in order to get to this like one person who she wants to get to for reasons that are eventually explained to you. Um, and then it's just like immediate violence and really, really dark magic. She's battling these witches. The people that she's with, that she's like gone under the group that she's infiltrated to like go undercover to do this thing she needs to do, most of them get killed in like the first few pages, except for one little fox character who's been with her through like the rest of the book and is one of my favorite characters. But I, I, the plot is really intricate and very Game of Thronesy, where it's like there's a lot of political intrigue different sides of different wars, everybody's, you know, double crossing everybody else, plus magic, um, plus who's supposed to actually be in charge. But this war goes back several, like, thousands of years and involves a lot of gods and and ancient, um, ancient creatures, one of whom takes up residence inside of Micah, and she has to contend with, like, keeping it contained so it doesn't eat all of her, her friends. And, and um, But then it also turns out to be sympathetic. It's so odd. Like, it just... It has that Game of Thrones thing where everyone who you like is also a little bit terrible because everyone in real life is also, a little, you know, like they're people. So everyone's complicated. Um, and sometimes people do selfish things. And sometimes those selfish things are, you know, have really far reaching consequences. Except in Monstrous, there's like magic and a lot of blood. So it's very adult, <laughs> um, adult in the in the gore factor, I would say. But I just love it. And it's beautiful. Like it's beautiful to look at the every single page, every panel could be a print. Like if you were cool with tentacles and blood being a print on your wall. But even if you're not, you're kind of like, I mean, I get it. Like that's really pretty. I don't know. Not my thing, but I like it. Um, it is my thing though. So that's Monstrous. The first <laughs> volume is called Awakening. Uh, and that is by Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda. All right. Our next question is from Dara and is one of the shortest questions we've ever had. I love it. It just says books similar to the Raven cycle, but we got you. I feel you. Um, I picked Roses and Rot by Kat Howard, which comes with a trigger warning for child abuse, just FYI. And this is not YA. It features two grown sisters, Imogen and Marin. 
And they have fled their abusive mother uh, to, you know, sort of make their way in the world. And they were very, very close when they were young. Um, for obvious reasons, they have sort of banded together. But they've really fallen out a bit in the intervening years. And then Marin, who is a dancer, sends Imogen, who is a writer, this application to a prestigious artist retreat and is like, we should both apply and go do this. And Imogen is like, oh, it's an olive branch. Like, well, maybe this will sort of heal the rift between us. So they both apply. They both get in and they head off to I think it's like it's somewhere upstate New York, if not exactly upstate New York. And they head off to this artist colony to make art. And, you know, Imogen figures that she's going to bond with her sister. Maybe she'll like work on her novel. Like everything will be fine. Well, this I don't think this is a spoiler to say that this artist colony is not what it seems. It is actually hooked into like the supernatural world. And you start to see that there is a very big price to be paid for artistic success in the context of this artist's retreat. And so then it becomes about like, what will you do for your art? What will you give up to be successful? Like what price are you willing to pay? And it has, I thought of it for the Raven cycle specifically because it has moody magical men, which are just like 100% what the Raven cycle is about. It's got that sort of real world, like I, things are normal. I have to go buy groceries and pay my rent, but also all of these supernatural things are happening. And how, how do I make sense of this supernatural stuff, given what I know about the real world? And then it's also a sister story. And that's not exactly the Raven cycle, but it's one of the things I love most about this is you see this lovely and complicated. It's not an easy relationship. It's very complicated and prickly sometimes, but you see this relationship and how it develops and where they've come from and where they're going. And I really thought it was so good. Uh, so again, that's Roses and Rot by Cat Howard. Um, I picked When the Moon Was Ours by Anna Marie Macklemore because it has a similar setup of like local girl gets involved with magical group of teenagers, except in When the Moon Was, was Ours, it's moody, magical women. Well, girls, they're teenage girls. Um, sisters, a group of sisters. In this community, the Bonner girls, who are, there are four of them, they're not all teenagers, I think one of them is like 10. Um, but the Bonner girls are these like beautiful blonde sisters who are rumored to be witches. Um, and there's a, a lot of magical realism in this book. So the main character, there, well, there's two main characters, Miel and Sam. And Miel is a girl who's got roses that grow out of her wrists. And it's just kind of what happens <laughs> like it's not remarked upon except when she gets them caught in her sweater and she has to like cut them down every now and then because they're annoying um and the bonner sisters who again are like very like beautiful everyone's enchanted by them go through boys like it's no tomorrow and they have discovered that they're like losing that ability um to entrance all and sundry and so they decide that they're going to cast a spell using the roses that grow out of her skin and in order to get her to agree to do it they threaten her with a secret that she has about Sam, who is her best friend. Um, and Sam is this lovely character who like paints moons and hangs them up in trees around town. Uh, and he is a bit of a mystery. Nobody knows much about his life before he came with his mom to town. Um, also a mystery, Miel is also a mystery. Um, she kind of emerged out of a water tower when she was like five years old. Where'd she come from? What's going on with that girl? Um, and then the magic that surrounds all of these characters when all of these things are going on like just infiltrates it's very atmospheric and moody in the, the kind of the same way that the stifetter is it's not as ominous like i feel like the raven king has a little bit of that secret history like oh someone's gonna die because you know like 
because school and winter and scary. Um, and it doesn't, I don't get that feeling out of when the moon was ours. It doesn't feel as atmospherically tense, but it is full of magic. Um, and these very intimidating girls who have their own inner world going on, um, who are like using their influence to manipulate the people around them. So that's When the Moon Was Ours by Anna Marie Macklemore. All right. It is time for our next sponsor, which is us. It's Book Riot Insiders. So if you are struggling to keep up with the latest releases or want to know what's coming out in the next few months for work or your own personal pre-ordering needs, or if you just need help turbocharging your TBR pile, Book Riot Insiders is here for you. Our new release index is available at the novel level for just $5 a month, and it is curated by our resident velocity reader, Liberty Hardy, from the All the Books podcast. And she keeps track of the most exciting books pre-pubs so that you can browse them and know when your favorite author's next novel hits stores or find your next favorite read. If you go to insiders.bookriot.com to sign up, you can also get a two-week free trial. So what is there to lose? All right. Question five is from Brittany, who says, let's see, work has been very emotionally taxing this year, and I've been uh, sitting more and more, setting more and more time aside for reading. I found myself falling in love with books with tasty language, most recently A Gentleman in Moscow, The Secret History, and Circe, and Song of Achilles, all seem to live in times almost set apart from our own. I would love a recommendation for a book that offers a similar escape with a setting that lives in its own time and space, but mostly with the lyrical detail of A Gentleman in Moscow. I picked what might seem like a little off the beaten path, kind of, or out of left field uh, answer for pick your metaphor for this question. Um, and that's Milkman by Anna Burns. This book won the Booker um, this year, and it's also been long listed for the Women's Prize this year. And it's just amazing. So it's set in an unnamed city in an unspecified time, and none of the characters have names. But you can very obviously tell from the beginning that it's the 70s, it's Ireland, um, and it's during the Troubles. The main character doesn't, middle sister is what she refers to herself as, um, is trying to survive in this, again, unnamed city, unnamed country, unnamed time, really politically dangerous and psychologically suffocating time um, to be in Ireland and to be a young girl. Um, and she's just trying to like, she has a maybe boyfriend, like a tenuous, she, I think she's 19 in the book. She has this really tenuous, undefined relationship with this boy that she's been seeing. Her father is dead. So she's got a lot of siblings. Some of her siblings have died in the struggle. Some of them are missing. Um, so in the home, it's her mother, her, and then a couple of younger, uh, younger girls. And then this guy that's called the milkman starts like sniffing around her. And he is a known, really important, high-ranking local militant. And he doesn't, he just like appears, he never touches her when the book, you know, is going. He just appears when she is doing normal things like going for a run or going to a night class um, to learn French or whatever. And through very like circumspect, never specific language, he makes it really clear that like he wants her, he's willing to put a bomb in her boyfriend's car, like all of these things. And so her life just becomes this very claustrophobic and like intense experience of always looking over her shoulder for this guy. And through that, the author, he like the, the milkman is, I don't know, every surveillance state <laughs> that's ever existed. And you come to realize that like a woman going for a run by herself in Ireland in the seventies wouldn't, was in and of itself like a really rebellious act. A woman taking French was a big problem. And ju just the psychological nature of the writing it's told from the first person and it's very virginia wolfy in that like stream of consciousness kind of way and so when you said like deliciousy kind of language i don't know that it's like she's not using flowery words she's not you know it you're in the head of this girl who's having a really stressful 
time. Um, but she doesn't really recognize that it's stressful. It's just how she's grown up. And so the stream of consciousness, I think you just like slow with her and all of the details of life, the sm- all the details of life in, the, in Ireland during this time and the smallest things that were okay and not okay to do or say, like what you named your kids, you know, what, what radio stations you listened to, everything indicated a political affiliation. And within that political affiliation, how much you were willing or not willing to participate. And it's just these bizarre rules on rules on rules. So like it's world building, even though it's not a fantasy novel. It's just masterful. It's super masterful. I love it. So it's Milkman by Anna Burns. All right. I picked The Bird King by G. Willow Wilson, which I do feel like is a really solid comp in particular for Madeline Miller's work. It is a historical fantasy set during the late 1400s in the Iberian Peninsula, what was becoming Spain at that point. And it starts in the last sultanate uh, on that peninsula. And the main character, Fatima, is a concubine to the sultan. So like her life is both very pampered and terrible. Uh, she has no control over who she sleeps with, what she does during the day. You know, she answers to the sultan's mother and various wives, but also has some power because she could bear a child. But, you know, it's all very complicated and coerced. And she is best friends with Hassan, who is the palace map maker, but he has the power to drop maps of places he's never seen and like or draw a map that then becomes reality if it wasn't there before. And nobody can prove it wasn't there before. So who knows? And there is an emissary slash party from the Spanish monarchy of Ferdinand and Isabella that comes to the court to negotiate the surrender of the sultanate. And one of the women turns out to be from the Spanish Inquisition. And they find out about Hassan's power. And of course, clearly, he has been touched by the devil and cannot be suffered to live, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so Fatima and Hassan escape and go on the run and are also trying to get to this mythical island because their favorite story is the conference of the birds, which is this amazing, like real amazing Sufi poem that uh, Wilson is using to sort of hang the narrative on. And so it's like, there's a journey and there's so much peril and there's supernatural things going on, but there's legit historical things going on. And so it is very evocative in a lot of different ways. And Wilson is such a good writer. She's so good at words. And it is a beautifully written, beautifully lush book. And it's complicated, too, because the book is constantly asking you, like you were saying before, people are complicated. And sometimes we do selfish things because or we want to survive. And so we make these choices. Or sometimes we make choices that appear to be altruistic, but are really actually very selfish. And like, what does it mean? And what are the consequences of those things? These are the questions she's looking at in really interesting ways. And I just thought it was stunning. And the ending, I have to say, it broke my heart a little bit. Oh, no. But in a good way, I was like, oh, all right, fair. You earned that ending. So again, that's The Bird King by G. Willow Wilson. 
All right. And our next question is from Ray, who says, I'm heading home to Malaysia for a very short visit in a few months. It's my first time back in five years and may or may not involve seeing family for the first time in longer than that. There's a complicated family situation. I'm pretty anxious about this visit, both because of the complicated family situation and because I have none of the things that my culture requires of a good Malay woman. I'm unmarried. There's currently no boyfriend on the scene. There will be no babies for me. I'm not religious. And no, I'm not moving back home ever. I'm dreading all of the questions and the possibly imaginary disapproval. Can you recommend a book that might help prepare me for this trip or at least help me tackle all of these anxieties, both imagined and real? Whew. I'm, we are like, I feel you like, <laughs> but also I, I'd like, that's so much worse than anything I've had to deal with, with my family's expectations. So, you know, good luck to you. What you got, Amanda? Okay, I picked No One Tells You This by Glynis McNichol. And she, this is a memoir, and she is a writer who, obviously, <laughs> because I'm talking about her book, who lives in New York City. And on the, like, you know, days leading up to her 40th birthday, she's starting to realize or starting to become very aware of the fact that she doesn't have the things that a woman her age are, like, quote unquote, supposed to have. She doesn't have a partner, she doesn't have any children. Um, she's constantly reminded of those facts by friends, family, culture, everything. And so she's starting to feel kind of confused because she doesn't feel bad about the life that she's created for herself. It's actually very exciting. Um, but she's got these constant signals coming in from every direction about how women without children and women without partners are selfish and self-centered and, you know, drains on society or whatever, like nonsense people say. And so she starts to go on this um, it's not eat, pray, love, but she starts to go on this kind of eat, pray, love adjacent journey of like self discovery, except it includes, it does include some travel and some, uh, romantic encounters, but it also includes like nursing her aging mother, um, at the end of her life when she's dealing with Parkinson's and dementia. Um, and so she's wrestling with all of these big questions about her life and its direction while also dealing with, you know, watching her mother die. And that's, terribly painful for her. Um, so the whole book is about her coming to terms with the fact that like, yes, sometimes she wishes she had a partner and sometimes she imagines her life and what it would be like if she had children. But the reality is she loves the life that she's created for herself and doesn't really want those things. Like she doesn't actually want children. She doesn't actually want to be married. And in nursing her mother who led a very different life than um, Glynis did or does, She's just having that kind of confirmed for her. So it's really a book about the choices that you've made as an adult when it's starting to get to the point where like maybe doors are closing. Um, not that she can never have a partner or even have children at 40, but, you know, starting a thing that she's starting to think about um, and how, you know what, like she doesn't have any regrets about it and that the life that she has chosen for herself is awesome. So it, it's an affirmation really about independence and finding joy in your own independence and your ability to pick up and go when you feel like it and your ability to take care of your aging parents without any other stuff like pulling you any other people like you know pulling your attention away from that um so yeah uh, you know disregarding other people's expectations to design the life that you really are interested in having so that's no one tells you this by glennis mcnichol yeah i wanted to find you 
as close of a match as I could, which was hard because most of the books, there are a lot of memoirs out there that address this, but they're mostly by white women. And I think that these pressures are felt differently by women of color, from what I understand as an intersectional feminist and a white lady. So I found you instead, We Are Never Meeting in Real Life by Samantha Irby, which is not necessarily all about defending yourself to family, but what it is about is like, being a person who has anxieties and, you know, awkward sexual encounters and is single and doesn't have children and is maybe not living up to the expectations of those around you and also dealing with chronic illness and like just basically dealing with all of the things that life can throw at you and not having a cookie cutter life that looks like what is perhaps expected. But she's so funny. Oh my gosh, she's hilarious. And she has really sort of captured, I think, how both the the hardness of dealing with these things and then how like sometimes you just have to laugh at it. And she makes it so accessible and entertaining by sharing her own struggles and, you know, but like you're like laughing and you're crying and you're identifying with it and you're just like, OK, like this just just laughing at it and acknowledging it somehow, I think, makes it easier to deal with. And, you know, your problems are not the same as hers. But I think that sort of feeling of commiseration is so powerful and seeing somebody be so frank and so honest about what their life is like and how they're like fine with it and you know find the humor and find the optimism and the hope it's great uh so i think you will really just enjoy it thoroughly and hopefully it will give you a little boost so again that's we are never meeting in real life by samantha irby all right our last question is from jessica who says i've really gotten into world war one and world war two historical fiction which is great but also heavy i would love some good audiobooks that will make me laugh out loud I love all kinds of humor, but sarcasm and dry humor are my favorites. I've listened to Heartburn and A Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue. I also love Crazy Rich Asians and Jen Hatmaker. I prefer fiction, but we'll try nonfiction. I get audiobooks from my library's app, so please no new releases. All right. Um, I went with an oldie, well, an oldie, 2014, <laughs> um, called People I Want to Punch in the Throat by Jen Mann. I love this book so much. It is nonfiction. It's a collection of essays, mostly taken from her blog. The subtitle is Competitive Crafters, Drop-Off Despots, and Other Suburban Scourges. I just so deeply relate to this. It's hilarious. So Jen Mann is obviously a suburban mom who is not unaware of the ridiculousness of suburban life, and yet continues to participate in it in the same way that many of us are aware of the ridiculousness of suburban life, yet are like, still here, because Target is 10 minutes away, and why would I ever leave that? (laughs) And so she is just writing from that perspective of like, when you go to the school drop-off, and why are people there 45 minutes early? Why? Why? Like, that is so obnoxious. People who treat their pets like their children don't understand that. Like people who bling out their washer and dryer and then put it on Instagram. What are you doing with yourself? So these are the things that she's talking about. And yes, it's like snarky. And I'm sure all of those people have reasons for doing all of those things that make sense to them. They're still annoying. They're still annoying. And it is really entertaining to listen to Jen Man go off on it a little bit because suburban life is awesome, but it's also super goofy and a little bit nonsensical. Anyway, and the book is just really, really funny. So People I Want to Punch in the Throat by Jen Man. I did not realize that decorating your washer and dryer was a thing. Oh, yeah. Is that a thing? Oh, yeah. It is. And like, lo- like, pimped out laundry rooms is a thing. Like, 
finishing your laundry room off to look like a, a room that somebody would live in. Now I'm thinking of like Allison. I'm thinking of Allison from Orphan Black. Have you seen no. that show yet? Oh my gosh, you need to watch it. But also, that's something Allison from Orphan Black would do. So now I understand. Okay, <laughs> moving along. I picked The Prime of Miss Jean Brody by Muriel Spark, which when you say dry humor, like, whew, this is so dry. It's so dry. And this is a book that takes place at a boarding or not a boarding school, like a finishing school for girls in Edinburgh. And there is this teacher, Miss Jean Brody, who is such a character. And she sort of gathers this group of select students around her to be her little entourage. And she is kind of terrible. She's she's an active fascist, like talking about like how great Mussolini is kind of thing uh, and has these really bizarre teaching methods and opinions. And she's also trying to encourage these girls to be independent and have ambition and, you know, to value goodness, truth and beauty. So like talk about an onion, like she has got a lot of layers. She's having this affair that's maybe secret, but maybe also not so secret. And she's always talking about, you know, this, her lost love and about when she was in her prime, which is where the title comes from. And she is, she's just this sort of bloviating, compelling, terrible, fascinating character. And the book is told from the point of view of one of the students. And the thing you know is that one of the students like turns her into the school administration at some point and like gets her fired. But you don't know which one. So it's a little bit of a mystery, but it's really that's kind of not the point. The point is just this. It's just sort of an extended set piece in a girl's school all about this wacky teacher. And Muriel Spark makes it interesting. Like it's so funny and sort of dark and you're just like oh gosh like it's a little painful but still funny kind of humor and it sounds like that's something you like uh and it is a classic and it is available on audio definitely should be available on audio from the library so go forth and enjoy it's again the prime of miss jean brody by muriel spark and that's our show wahoo Thank you all so much for listening. If you get a chance, please do leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people to find this show. And it is always nice to see the feedback. Thank you to our sponsors for making this show possible. Um, Amanda, where can people find you on social media? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL, and Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. 